Hey everyone, welcome to the Influencer Economy Podcast, episode number 23. This week's episode is supported by Truemaker, a new menswear brand that combines ruggedly refined original designs with a modern approach to made-to-measure clothing. You'll never have to go to the mall again or worry about finding your size online. Sign up for an appointment at Truemaker.com and one of their expert outfitters will come to you when and where you want to for a simple, casual 30-minute fitting. Then they'll measure you for your shirts and blazers that are built to fit you, only you, it's also easy to reorder more perfectly fitting gear at truemaker.com. That's T-R-U-M-A-K-E-R.com. And make sure you mention as a friend of the show, Influencer, when you sign up to get a free gift with your first order. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. The Influencer Economy is a podcast in which I interview makers, builders, and creators, people who have launched revolutionary and big ideas online. So glad to have you this week for episode number 25 with Justin Jackson. He's the host of Product People, a podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. He has a day job as a product manager, and he's passionate about building products that are delightful to customers. He's been working on building things with computers since 85. I love this episode with Justin, one of my favorites so far. Three things you'll learn from this conversation are how to interview important people in a podcast or not how to launch and build community around your ideas, and the importance of shipping stuff on the web and small ideas becoming big ideas. So I want to make sure you uh, check us out at InfluencerEconomy.com if this is your first time listening. And I'm on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Also, if you're on iTunes, please subscribe. would love to hear what you think. And if you leave a comment, I would appreciate it. And I uh, want to thank Justin one more time for coming on the show. Without further ado, Justin Jackson. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. It's good to be here, man. Happy to have you joining us from Vernon, British Columbia. Yeah, the the big white north up here. You were saying it's more it's more remote than even Vancouver. Yeah, you know, and actually all the kind of, well, not all the creative people I know here in Canada, but there's quite a few, uh, there's quite a few cool cats on the island, on Vancouver Island, especially living around Victoria. So there's Paul Jarvis is there. Uh, Mike Vardy is there. Uh, and then there's a, there's a bunch of us here in the interior as well. And Vancouver's got cool people too, but I'd say all of British Columbia is, is pretty cool. So how do you get started in, in the, or actually, first of all, before we jump to like question number 10 is, um, what, can you just introduce yourself to the audience? And we were talking earlier how you do you have a, a normal job or a day job, but you have sure. some cool stuff on the side. So I'd love for you to just kind of give a quick overview of yourself. Yeah. So during the day, I am a product marketing manager for Sprintly. Uh, that's a it's project management software for software companies. Um, and um, I just started that job actually about a month and a half ago. Congrats. And before that, I was a product manager for a different web app uh, here in Canada. And uh, Sprintly is interesting because it, that job uh, kind of grew out of my side projects. So on the side, I do a podcast called Product People at productpeople.tv. And I blog at justinjackson.ca and uh, also have a weekly newsletter that comes out of that. And and what's uh what's your pro- your podcast about? It's basically about people that are building digital products, people that are building software, people that are building apps, people that are building or writing ebooks. 
And uh, it started out of a friend and I would just get together for coffee or beers and we'd always end up talking about, you know, the cool products we were using and the people that were behind those products. We always found that really interesting. Like who's building these products? Why, why, how did they get there? What were they doing? What brought them to the point where they could release this thing? And we just thought that was really interesting. So I initially started the podcast uh, with a friend of mine and eventually he got too busy at work. So I just kept going. And many good things in life start over a beer. Yeah, it's true. You know, and I actually think about that quite a bit because if I hadn't had that conversation, because he was the one that messaged me after and said, we should do a podcast. And that was something I thought about a lot. But until I had someone that, you know, was kind of saying, hey, we should do this together, I'd never actually seriously thought about doing it. And, uh, you know, some of my stuff I just start on my own, but there's a lot of stuff that also comes out of, yeah, just conversations over beer or someone saying, hey, we should build something together. And uh, yeah, that was that was the genesis of product people. And for product people, um, was there a point when you realized that it was a success or you felt like you'd reached a point where you got a guest that helped give you credibility where you said, okay, you know, people are paying attention to this and it, it's... and you, I imagine you weren't going to stop regardless of who was on, but was there just a point where you felt like, okay, we're, we're doing it well? Yeah. Um, you know, like at the beginning, often, you know, at the beginning, you're, you're just interested in talking to cool people. And um, so the first three or four episodes were just my co-host and I talking. And then we thought, you know, we could probably get co-host? some... co-host? Uh, Kyle Fox. You go to kylefox.ca. He's a really talented designer developer. Uh, he's still building really cool products and uh, making cool stuff. And um, yeah, eventually we thought, you know, we could get some people on the show. And the way we did that was interesting too. We we pulled our our very small audience at the time. There was not very many people, and we just had this this survey they could fill out that said, who would you love to see on the show? And then we took those survey results and we brought those to those people saying, you know, our audience would love to, our audience wants to hear you on our show. And that's how we got our first guests um, was uh, (laughs) was with those survey results. And after you've you've had a a couple of guests, it's easier to get more guests because you can say, uh, you know, this person's been on the show and this person's been on the show. Did you re- did you reveal the numbers? Did, did you say it was only four of our friends who <laughs> were in the survey? No, I just said you know our this is the percentage of our audience that would like to hear from you. Um, oh, that's great strategy, just given the the data. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people are just excited that anybody you know cares about their work or wants to hear from them, um, even if they're a bigger name or whatever. So I think people just love the idea that there's. This built-in audience, they didn't know how big it was, but this built-in audience that wanted to hear from them that was really interested in what they had to say. I'm actually, I believe that people like podcasts, whether it's an audience of a million or three, because in the end it's content and it's something that people can share. And even if your community is smaller, it's probably more focused on that one specific topic. Yeah, you know, and I started to think about this too. So a lot of my guests came from you know, that that survey technique. I'd also built up some relationships beforehand through blogging and through some other things with some other folks. 
And um, Jason Freed was one of those guys from 37 Signals, now right. Basecamp. And he was a guy that just seemed to, seemed to be okay if I emailed him every month with, you know, just wanted to chat or whatever. And one day I asked him, I said, you know, what's in it for you to be on a show uh, or to be interviewed? And uh, he said, you know, part sometimes he just wants good conversation. And that's interesting to me that, you know, there's there's different reasons why someone would even want to be interviewed. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the jobs to be done framework lately. Have you heard about that? No, what's that? So uh, the easiest way to kind of get into it is to Google the milkshake experiment. But there's a, a Harvard researcher named Clayton Christensen. Oh, he's great. I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wrote a lot about disruption and um, he's also developed this theory called the jobs to be done framework. And basically the idea is that people don't just buy a product or people don't just do a thing. They're hiring that thing to do a job for them and usually multiple jobs. So the best example of this, I have a YouTube video of this too, is a cup of coffee. Cup of coffee used to be a, a commodity. You could get it for 25 cents at any diner. And what places like Starbucks and some of these kind of uh, higher end coffee shops have done is they've realized there's a lot more jobs to be done with coffee. So for example, when I buy a cup of coffee, there's my favorite place is this place called Triumph. It's about a five to 10 minute walk from my office. When this, I this go is in, for this is in Vernon, in Vernon, yeah, and so when I go for that cup of coffee, I'm I'm hiring that cup of coffee for the walk that I get from my office to the the coffee shop. I'm getting it for the barista that recognizes me and welcomes me and knows my name. I'm getting it for the coffee itself, but I'm also getting it for the atmosphere there. the The atmosphere there it makes me feel kind of like I'm in a cool place. Um, there's a lot of kind of activity and energy there. So there's all kind of, like all these jobs wrapped up in a single cup of coffee. And, you know, for a long time, people said, well, coffee is just water and caffeine. That's that's what you're buying and that's what you're selling. When in reality, we hire things for a lot of other reasons. And I think it's the same with podcasting, uh, with guests and listeners too. But with guests in particular, uh, often they're, you know, they're, they're coming onto a show for a, a bunch of different reasons. Maybe it's to self-validate themselves. Maybe it's just because they they enjoy the conversation. They're relational. Um, you know, maybe it's because they they want to market something. So there's all of these kinds of things. And once you kind of start thinking this way, with this idea that people are hiring things to do jobs for them, just the same way they would hire a person. Um, you know, you, you start to see things from a different perspective and you can almost anticipate why people might want to be on a show. And so I, I, I use that to, in podcasting in particular, I use that to, uh, you know, change my invite emails. I would say, you know, I would try to think about what jobs the, the interviewee would want uh, from a podcast interview and anticipate those beforehand, put those into the, the letter. And uh, I've, I've never had anyone say they couldn't come on so yeah that, i totally agree i think there's a way to formulate introduction emails or even cold i i do some cold outreach like even with you where it's like okay let's talk about these three things and try to try to keep it a variety of topics because obviously podcasts just can meander and, yeah but you if you 
keep it focused with the things that you want to talk about, but mutually the other person is into. Yeah, like the validation piece is pretty big. So when you reached out to me, you'd mentioned some stuff that I'd done before and, you know, some stuff that I'd written or talked about. And that, you know, already my interest has peaked because it's like, okay, well, this guy wants to talk about things I'm passionate about. Uh, and, uh, you know, it makes it easier to be on the show. I've had a lot of other shows that have contacted me and, <laughs> you know, they've clearly haven't read anything I've read, I've written or listened to any of my stuff or, you know, even really know what I'm about. And, uh, it's, you know, I basically, I, I just ignore those, but I think that whole that whole idea is interesting because it, it goes into sales and building products and finding out what people really want, why people buy things. And for me right now, that whole jobs to be done framework is kind of like it, it really helps me understand, um, you know, the underworkings of all that stuff. Actually, can I tell you a story about this outreach I just did for a podcast guest? Yeah. Um, it was it was this, uh, Troy Carter, who's a investor in L.A. He used to manage Lady Gaga and I saw him speak at this event in L.A. And it was with General Assembly. I teach classes there. And so they had this talk. And he had one of these uh, tech bloggers interviewing him. And within the first five minutes, he told the audience that he used to work with Biggie Smalls and Puff Daddy. Yeah. But then he went on to like his investments about Uber and Lyft. And all these techies in the audience were like, oh, my God, tell us what you look for in companies. And he works for the Atom Factory and... Yeah. And so I like rose my hand like, hey, look, I would love to talk to you about uh, what it was like working with Biggie Smalls and what's Biggie Smalls legacy, a non-tech related question. People were like laughing in the crowd. And then he, he I was in the front row. He turns over his body, moves, looks at me and he talks for, you know, five to seven minutes about they, he was doing club promotions in Philly way back in the day. And Biggie was doing a show. He came late, but he did a make good because he came so late and. He helped Puffy get a girl behind the bar, and you know the rest was history. <laughs> so I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I'd rather hear about this than like what he looks for in companies to invest. Yeah, totally. So I emailed him the next day, and we had only met once before about a year and a half earlier. I doubt he remembered me, and I just said, hey, I asked the Biggie Smalls question, and I think what you're saying about social media and how celebrities don't move the needle with a tweet is really interesting. And can you come on my podcast and talk about the parallels? of entrepreneurship and hip-hop. <laughs> and he got back to me in a day, and I interviewed him last week. Nice. And that kind of stuff, it just, it's like you got to go after it. And if you think, and he's so passionate about the topic, and we talked for 45 minutes. Yeah. And see, what you did there is is what a lot of people miss. So whether it's, you know, sending someone an eva email or an invite to speak on a podcast, or if you're trying to sell them something, I think that the thing that we all have a hard time with is that we're inherently self-focused. So I get a lot of emails from people that are clearly just kind of focused on their own needs. And the truth is we all have our own needs, but the trick is you need to focus on the other person. You need to kind of like, you know, stretch, come out of yourself and be willing to think entirely about whoever you're trying to reach. And uh, yeah, kind of touching on things that they were, you know, stuff from their history, uh, you know, stuff that they're clearly passionate about. Those are great ways to do that. And it works in all sorts of situations, whether you're writing, you know, copy for a landing page or sending an invite email. The, the whole key is to not talk about yourself at all 
just completely focus on the other person. Don't even use the word me. Just use lots of you and this and you know that that's what uh, piques people's interest. Totally. Or you know, say say we instead of I. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're gonna if you're gonna reference yourself at all, use a we. Yeah, I say we for, I say we for my podcast, and it's really hilarious because it's me, and I record, I edit. Yeah. But I like the I think the royal we is just like it's a more welcoming and it's fun because it makes me seem like I'm uh, much larger in company <laughs> than I really am. Yeah, yeah, and. I think a lot of people also that that same technique works really great in social situations. Um, I, I I got invited to a speaker's dinner with Robert Scoble. Do you know who he is? I yes, I do. He's a big tech blogger. He's like the biggest tech. Enthusiast yeah, and everyone ever. was like, "What are we going to talk about with this guy?" Mm-hmm. And uh, the the best kind of question to ask is, and this is what I asked. I said. What were you doing before this? Like before you were in blogging and everything? Like what was your first job out of college? And then we had this great conversation about how he was working in his uncle's uh, photography shop and how what he learned about selling cameras and like all this interesting stuff that was kind of at the root of who he was at a person. And you're right, just like um, with you with that fellow from L.A., that sometimes the stuff that's kind of early on in their life is the most interesting. And um, a lot of people want to talk about what they're doing currently, like, you know, your venture, your funding things or whatever. But if you reach back into their history and say, you know, what were you doing? Like, what was your first job out of college or what were you doing before this? I'd like to hear about that. They never get to talk about that stuff. And that stuff is really core to who they are. And so they're often willing to talk about that in, uh, in a really open way. And people are more, I mean, the technology angle... For Scoble or investing with Troy, that's those are layers at this point. You know they're built upon each other, and and now they're at this very successful place in their lives. But yeah, the fun moments of failure or success, or uh, what, what, what did Robert do before he was who he is now? Yeah. What, what did he say that he what was like? Was there a moment when he wanted to get into tech? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And think about how many questions like every. People are asking those yeah. people the same questions over and over again, and uh, a lot of the, a lot of like this this kind of um, getting noticed, whether it's in blogging or in sales or in products or in podcasting or whatever, it's just being unique, like asking questions that no one else is asking or talking about things that no one else is talking about or looking at things with a different perspective, and. As soon as you ask that question, that's different than what everyone else is asking. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's talking to Robert about, you know, tech gadgets and blogging and how did he get into it and how is he making money at it and all that stuff. But as soon as you get out of that, you know, it's so interesting and so unique that you're almost always going to get a response. You know, I have this new, yeah, totally. I have this like reflex that I've acquired recently where I've, I've, and I think podcasting is to help where. It, if I start having to convince someone to continue talking to me about something that they're into, that, you know, like a investor, you're at a bar and you start talking about stuff. And you're like, wait, I'm like working too hard here. Yeah. You know, if they're not giving me the right answers or body language, I, I move on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, fish or cut bait at that point is cut bait because if it's like the same repetitive thing that they've talked about numerous times. Not, and then it's realizing it's not even interesting to me. I, like what, you know. It's like step back for a minute. Why am I even asking these 
ordinary questions that I'm not that passionate about, but it's just like, it's almost easier in some ways to, to do that because it's like, okay, let's talk about what we have in common. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's so true. And, and so like, what are you, are you building? You're building a product right now? Uh, my product is uh, the podcast and my book and I'm treating my book as a product launch. So I'm doing a lot of interviews around uh, the theories of the book, like talking to people like you and, uh, and getting, I have 50 chapters outlined so far and they're all just, you know, entrepreneur stories, but they're, I personally think there's an undervalued, uh, system and world that we're a part of. And we're not like for me personally, I'm not raising $50 million at a billion dollar valuation. You know, I'm not trying to work in Silicon Valley as the next Mark Zuckerberg. And there's so many great entrepreneurs that are using social media, mobile, podcasting, uh, developers, designers that are doing stuff that are globally changing big ideas, but they're not really being talked about because we want to be seduced by this narrative of being the next, you know, home run grand slam company that gets acquired or goes public. And so these companies aren't being covered in TechCrunch and the people aren't being covered in, you know, the tech press traditionally. And they're some of these are entertainment, you know, people that I talk to that are doing films on Kickstarter or people like yourself that are, you have all these different avenues to reach people, um, but like you're not going to drive page views or maybe you will to TechCrunch. And you're also, from what I've read, not necessarily like trying to build a publicly trading company off product people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love stories like yours about people. I just recently I've just been thinking about like, just how cool it is just to make stuff like just making stuff and like releasing it and to the public and whether it's a podcast or a blog or a book or a piece of software or an app that that's just really cool to me right now the idea that we have this 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 potential and the, all these channels to make stuff and then release it out into the world and yeah th there's just something about that that I think is really cool that that any of us um, like where are you right now where are you located I'm in LA full time yeah I'm in Vernon British Columbia somehow you and I have connected over the internet which is still to me also in incredible and we're able to talk about what we're working on we're able to share ideas we're able to help each other out all that stuff is still amazing to me and uh, I get really passionate about this idea of just a bunch of independents kind of working on stuff making stuff releasing stuff into the world that isn't yeah exactly what you're saying isn't that you know uh, <laughs> stuff you might read about in the New York Times that stuff's okay like I, I'm, I'm fine with that stuff too but there's a whole lot more like interesting stuff about people that are just building stuff and you know creating things and they can actually uh, have an audience whereas before it was really hard you know you were limited to your local wherever you were um, but now you can be anywhere and you can build an audience and collaborate and collaborate with people and collaborate with people too so like I'm not I'm, I'm not stuck just interviewing people in LA yeah exactly exactly so that piece to me is super super cool and um you know, I, I kind of go all over the map. Like sometimes I'm really focused on this idea of, you know, building independent business and uh, building products. 
and selling products. Uh, but lately, especially after the, I, w- I just went to XOXO. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. In Portland. And I just came back inspired just to make stuff and just to be happy making stuff. And, and um, you know, I, I still think it's okay to make stuff and sell stuff. But there's also just something really fun about just building something and shipping it and getting it out in the world and having people use it or enjoy it or be inspired by it or be impacted by it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think this whole movement of of people that can do this now, because, especially because of the web, uh, you can be anywhere, you can be anyone, and you can you can find a need and you can you know respond to that need. You can build an audience. You can you know have a community. All that stuff is just so great and uh, pretty unique. Uh, there, there's definitely a time where if you were like a musician, you had to, you know, you had to just play shows in your local town or travel. And, you know, now you could, theoretically, you could sell your music to anybody in the world without having toured there. Yeah. So what are you, what, with your blog exactly, what, what's your uh, like mission around what you write about? It looks like, you you know, you talk about creators and making cool stuff. And so that's definitely like just from uh, reading your site, it's like the fabric of, of what you believe in. And obviously XO is like completely the intersection of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I blog a lot about building products, especially from kind of the perspective of a bootstrapper or solopreneur, uh, also people that are building stuff on the side uh, because for, you know, for the last whatever it's been, 10, 12, 15 years, I've been working full time, but building stuff on this. Now, I liked your email you sent out, uh, and I'll link to your email newsletter in the description, um, but uh, about build your side project now. Yeah. It's like, it was like the, now is the time of the, the, the year. It's It was like motivational reasons for doing it. Oh, yeah. The cold months are coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I felt like I was reading a Game of Thrones, like, you know, winter is coming. It's time to do it. Well, I mean, this is really true in places like Canada where we have seasons and the seasons are very defined. So summer is like, it's hard to get anything done because it's beautiful. You know, you want to be out in the sun. That's where we take vacation. But really once winter hits, that's the time where you're just kind of heads down. You know, it's cold outside and it's a great time to get work done. And I like that idea of sometimes just segmenting parts of your life or your year and saying, you know, I've been doing this, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, but I'm just going to do it. Um, You know, for a long time, I ran this community online. It's called Products People Club now, but before it was called Just Fucking Do It. This idea of like, you've been thinking about this, you've been sitting on this idea forever. Let's just do something. Let's actually build something and ship it and get it out. Because I found that um, I think, you know, building the wrong thing is, you know, you definitely don't want to build the wrong thing. But even worse than building the wrong thing is building nothing. The more stuff I've created and shipped, the the more I feel like I'm just moving forward. It feels like I, I'm gaining momentum every time I release something into the world. And um, the opposite is true when, you know, maybe I get stuck in a rut on a project. Like I've been working on you know, this one book forever and um, just have not been able to ship it. 
and it, that's almost like the opposite. It just kind of weighs on you, and it and it's it's your own personal deadline. Yeah, no one else knows. There's no calendar saying, "Hey, you're gonna launch this tomorrow." Exactly. But it's exactly. just you. It's like you, maybe, and your wife. And your wife. Yeah. Like, hey, take it easy. No one else knows. <laughs> yeah, but but this idea of actually just releasing stuff oh, yeah. and and making it and sometimes even making it so small. Um, you know, I think a lot of us have dreams about building really big things, but just making it so small that you could build it in a weekend. And even like, like I talk to so many people, I have so many people that subscribe to my newsletter that'll email me and tell me about, you know, these dreams they have and what they want to build. And, and I'll respond and I'll say, well, what have you like shipped in the last, you know, six months? And they'll say, well, nothing. I say, well, what have you shipped in the last 12 months? I'll say, well, nothing. I said, well, have you ever shipped anything? And they'll say, no. I said, geez, like the, all of this stuff builds on top of each other. Like you have to practice this stuff. It doesn't, it's not like you're going to release your first big thing and it's right. going to be a big deal. It's like a daily practice. It's a weekly practice. It's a monthly practice. And if you're planning on building something so big, uh, you know, you've got these dreams and you're always planning and you're always, you never quite get to it. The whole idea is to get to the big thing, you have to have a bunch of small things. Right. And totally. um, my last post kind of talked about this. It's just entitled, Let's Make Some Stuff. And the idea is like, if you, I said, you probably have a bunch of domain names that you're not using right now. You registered them in a kind of a fit of inspiration, probably at two in the morning. After some Couldn't, beers. Couldn't sleep. Yeah, you had a few beers and you're just like, oh, this is the best idea ever. And <laughs> you registered it and totally. you've been holding on to it for six months because it was at the time you were thinking, this is my next big idea. And the idea is in the, the post is saying, well, why don't you just give up that idea and just put some, use that, that domain name for something. It could be completely silly. It could be like just a small little thing that you can build in five minutes, but put something up forward that domain to it just so that you've made something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I think I count, I have 46 domains or something like that. And 21 of them are being used right now, but that's you know, 50, that's 50% conversion, 50% conversion, but that's a lot of domains that's that I'm just a ton of stuff. paying for year after year that I'm not using. And a lot of them were just because I was like holding on to them. Cause I was like, ah, one day this is going to be a big idea. It's like, ah, bullshit. Just just build something, you know. Build something and get it out. What are some of the What are some of the ones you like that you've recently launched on those domains? Uh, well, one was like, uh, I fucking hate time zones. Was one. It was just a response to like uh, a friend that was complaining on on Twitter about how hard it is to program things for time zones. Time zones are real kind of pain for like, programmers like today with my calendar and yeah yeah yeah. We inviting you to this, this interview <laughs> yeah and so i thought you know it would be funny if i um if i just built this thing that pulled in a, a twitter stream of people that are saying i fucking hate time zones and so yeah i i uh i uh just built this little site in like five minutes called called that and I sent it to him and it made his day it was like so so funny to him that he just tweeted this thing and someone had built this thing in a couple of minutes um, another one I have is after a few beers one night I registered officedanceparty.com and I have all of these like 
videos of me dancing in my office whenever I got bored. Nice. And so I'm like, I'm just going to re- release these. And it's completely silly and stupid. And there's, it's never going to make any money or anything like that. But it's just fun. And even if it's like just me that enjoys it, the fact that I just like used that for something and put it out, it felt good to like each of these little projects, it's felt good to ship them. Uh, the other one that I've been holding on to forever is strongmaker.com. So the word strongmaker.com. And originally that was going to be like the name of my business. I thought like that would be a great business name. And I never used it. I've had it for probably 10 years or something like that. And so after the, I wrote this last blog post about just making stuff, I said, send me your ideas. I'm going to use this domain I've been sitting on forever called strongmaker.com. And I'm any ideas you guys send to me, like stuff that you're using unused domains for, I'm going to post it on there. And so it's been really fun. I think I've gotten, uh, what is it, six, nine so far. Um and just people saying, oh, yeah, I had a domain and I just put something up. And I like that. I like the fact that people are just building stuff and releasing it. And uh, it all of that stuff helps. There was a talk at XOXO by yeah. Jonathan Mann. Uh, you took my next question. I was going to ask you about what was the, something moving you saw there. Yeah. So Jonathan Mann is the song a day guy. He's been writing, recording, and publishing a song to YouTube for the past 2,000 days. And um, his quote was, the more stuff you make, the more great stuff you'll make. And he had this, uh, this breakdown of, you know, he said, you know, I've, I've written over 2,000 songs. And what did he say? He said, 70% of the stuff I put out is okay. 20% of it is really bad. And 10% of it is really good. But I would have never got to that really stuff if I hadn't made all that other stuff. And that just really struck me, this idea of, you know, he's been writing and recording a song every single day for over 2,000 days. And, you know, some of his songs, you know, his one of his songs was use it, used uh, by Steve Jobs at an Apple keynote. Uh, so kind of like had a real impact on the world. Yeah. But most of his songs are just ignored. Like, you know, they get... A couple hundred views or whatever. Yeah, I. Uh, one of the reasons why the podcast is, like, I have ideas for the book. A book takes a long time to make, so I, I want to create stuff and and I want to get my ideas out there. And I think that it's really hard to just drop something in the world now, whether it's a movie, whether it's a, a massive product, whether it's a you know a a, a book, any, anything that takes you know, over a year to make that you want to launch is, is time consuming and you have to put a lot into it, but you have to keep people updated and abreast, you know, of, of the project while it's being built and your, you know, your motto of shipping and just getting it out there and how fun it is. It, it, it is like every time I post the podcast, I'm so nervous and I get it out and it's alleviating. And I, I think I, I think I focus more afterwards. I feel like I enjoy my dinner that much more. <laughs> like all these dumb little things that you just sort of feel better. Like you're, you know, it's like I'm, I have my day job is I consult with companies as a, you know, as a marketing, a CMO type for hire. And that's great because, you know, I, I have to make money. But the podcast, it's like something that, you know, I never, I haven't put ads on, haven't thought about it really. 
um, because it's just like my blood, sweat, tears. Some episodes are really good. I think they're all interesting uh, for me, but not everyone's going to love them. Um, but that doesn't matter because it's like, look, if I liked them and they've reached some people and I'm getting emails and comments, I mean, what, what more could I ask for? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the other thing I think it, it helps with is this idea that everyone thinks they're going to release this thing that's just going to explode right away. And there's actually very few things that work that way. Most things start off as just a guy with a microphone yep. recording an episode every week, posting it, and having you know a few dozen people listen. And what happens is as you do those things over time, the, the same thing as Jonathan Mann says, like the more stuff you make, eventually you're going to hit some high notes. Eventually you're going to figure out you know what your audience likes. Eventually people are going to start telling their friends. And all this stuff happens over time. You're going to learn lessons. You're going to figure out how to like tweak it and make it better. None of this stuff happens overnight. And so, yeah, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, how did your, so how did your current job, you mentioned it was shaped by some of your, your side projects. Is that true? Could you say that again, sorry? Um, you mentioned earlier when we first started talking that you have you're, you now have a day job that you you said related in some ways to some of the side work you were already doing. So um, when I had my podcast, eventually we, we said we're going to uh, get some sponsors. And I had been using this product called Sprintly, which is project how, how, management. How far, how far were you into the podcast? How many episodes? Um, we, were, we were pretty early. I mean... It might have been two or three months in. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but we just thought, you know, um, especially for me, like I have a family, I've got four kids, um, I had a full-time job. You you have a really good fake mustache on your avatar. Yeah, yeah. So I had all these things to upkeep, <laughs> right? And and so I thought, you know, if I'm going to keep doing this, I need to at least be making a little bit of money, and so. We thought, well, we only want to talk about like advertised products we really like. And I'd been using this product Sprintly at work and uh, just really loved it. And uh, it's like an, basically an agile development tool. So it manages your whole development process. And so I just reached out to them and said, you know, I love your product. I've been one of your early users. And, you know, I've, I've got this podcast and I'd love it if you sponsored it every month. And I think it was, I said, you know, normal sponsorship will be probably 500 or $600 a month. But as my first sponsor, if you could commit to $350 a month, that would be, you know, a great start. And so they became a, my first sponsor. We had multiple sponsors for a long time. Um, and, but they were always there, like every single month they, they were sponsoring the show. And I uh, just really liked working with them. And when they were... You know, they were looking for somebody new, and uh, they thought, well, this, this fellow Justin has been really passionate about talking about our product and, and sharing it with other people. And you're, they're already paying you. They were already paying me, yeah. <laughs> and so they thought, why don't, why don't we uh, ask him if he wants to come on full-time? And I was ready for a change in my life, too. And, and so um, they, they hired me, I think in large part because I was a really passionate customer, but also because... You know, I'd been doing this side project where, um, you know, I'd been really uh, kind of passionate about them just in the public sphere. So that's the other thing is, uh, you know, these 
these side projects can lead to other stuff, right? Um, and not like a job is great. Uh, I've also been, you know, I've been a judge on the uh, Rails Rumble. I've uh, spoken at conferences. I've uh, been able to connect with a lot of really interesting people. I just had my first trip to San Francisco in, was that August or July that I went? August, I think. And uh, I had all this big list of people that I wanted to hang out with, um, you know, many of whom are pretty hard to reach if you're just kind of landing in San Francisco and don't know anybody. But I was able to hang out with all these folks um, just because I'd, I'd been interviewing them and building relationships with them through the podcast. So side projects can have all sorts of benefits. It could be a, yeah, a new job or anything. Yeah, the ROI like, isn't defined. Yeah. Like, and you're not really looking for an, like a quick hit. You know? Yeah, I think, and like I've hired quite a few people at my different jobs, and who I really look for are people that are making stuff on their own time, you know, their own energy, their own inspiration, their own creativity. I love hiring those people because it there's they're clearly autonomous. They can, you know, work by themselves without very little management. They've proven that they can put something out. A lot of, the hardest part in any organization is just getting actually getting stuff done. You know, after the meetings and after you've checked your email and after you've done all this stuff, who is actually producing something meaningful? And for me, it's, you know, people that are creating things independently uh, on the side on their own time. And what would you call the, the, the trade that you have or your, your uh, marketable skill that people, like if you said you did one thing better than others? Oh, man. I don't know. Because someone that has a lot of projects, I mean, is it, do, you, do you need to do that or can you also be someone that does a lot of different things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just the interest in doing something on the side uh, creatively that you're actually putting out in the world. Um, and I think, I mean, I think the reason that Sprintly hired me is because I was passionate about their product and I'd already proven that I could share that with other people. Um, and, you know, they'd, they'd see, I guess, yeah, they'd seen some other things too that I, I could create things independently and, um, the, the, uh, yeah, I, it's hard for me to see kind of what I, what's different about me. Um, well, I was trying to think of my opening. Just now. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do I describe what Justin does other than his really sexy avatar with this mustache? And I would probably just list everything you do. Yeah. That's that's what what I, I, I try to like beef up the resumes of everyone. I, I talk to great people, so I don't have to work too hard. Yeah. Um, you know, I, one thing I've been thinking about lately, my friend Bob, who's like quite a bit older than me and has been my mentor for quite a while, he, he's big on this idea of a core motivator. Like one thing that is kind of at the core of who you are and kind of motivates everything else. And I've always thought that my core motivator was creating things, um, building things. And th there's definitely a big part of me that, that that's true. But Bob thinks my core motivator is relationships, building relationships with people, caring about people, connecting with people. And I don't know if there, I don't know if I have just one core motivator, but one thing I've been thinking about lately is that 
I do really connect with people. And uh, even when I read about my blog, like when people read my blog, my blog is for product people. It's, but even in the name, product people, I'm not just talking about products. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in products and the people who make them. I'm interested in the people behind the story. And so I think one thing that maybe is unique um, or more unique about me is that I really connect with people. And um, the idea of, you know, what's interesting about all of this is people. Even this whole jobs to be done framework, it at the core, it's saying every every business problem, every product problem, every every problem is a people problem. Uh, that's a quote from my mentor, Bob. He always says that every every problem is a people problem. And uh, there is something about that that really resonates with me. So, yeah, I... I I, I'm really into I'm really into products. I'm really into people, and uh, that's why your company podcast is uh, product uh, people. Well, then, yeah. And so, what a fascinating thing I talked about all the time is how you're able now with the internet to build up a following in a, as specific as a category as you want. So you could be uh, very influential in drapes, <laughs> and you can find a community online. You could be a drape maker. You could be a drape a drape reviewer. You could be a a house uh, remodelist that knows the most about drapes. Yeah. Um. And for your podcast, and just generally speaking, like who are some of the people you look up to that have followings now that you were like, oh, because you said at the beginning you wanted to find out, you know, who made this or why do they make this or why did they ship this product? Sure. And, like, who are some of those folks in your community that you think? you know, that you, you look up to or that you follow for a while? Uh, well, for sure, like one of the first things I read when I got into the software business was Getting Real by David Hennemeyer Hansen and Jason Freed. Yeah, those guys are great. And um, so I've built a relationship with those guys, and I still think they, um, especially Jason, is just a very... Um, I think he's one of the best business thinkers and writers uh, out there. And um, rework is the, is the only inspiration for my book. Yeah, as far as or- organization, the chapters, the headlines. Yeah, like there, there's just something uh, about those guys that um, is really compelling, mm-hmm. especially the way they write. I think oh, yeah. uh, the way they write is is just. Yeah, if you know, if I could write like those guys, um, <laughs> you know, I that though, that's kind of like the model I try to follow. I, I just want to write like those guys. Um, who else do I want to write like? Uh, Derek Sivers. Uh, do you know Sivers? Yeah, it's- Sivers.org is his. Did he he did the video of the the first follower? Yeah, yeah. Versus being a leader. Yeah, I reference his stuff all the time. Oh, that's great. Um, Especially, he has a video called um, "Start Now, No Funding Needed." Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also just a really great writer, uh, very, very kind of just, just clear. And um, it's hard for me to kind of even describe it. But just, just every time you, every time an email shows up from Derek, I read it. Like I want to read his stuff every time he puts it out. Um, there's another guy, Nate Cotney. He's the founder of Draft, uh, Draftin.com, and uh, ninjasandrobots.com is his website, and he's just another incredible writer. I really like good writers. Um, 
so a lot of the people I kind of like aspire to be are the the people I read on the web that I just love their stuff. Uh, Patrick McKenzie, he goes by Patio Eleven on the internet. I think has one of the best newsletters I've ever read. Uh, he doesn't send it out every week, but when he sends it out, like you read it just because it's so good. He has this kind of really personal narrative style that's kind of uh, ah, geez, it's just. There's something about it that you just every time it comes in your inbox, I just want to read it. So yeah, those are those are a few of the folks that I I really look up to. And, and the cool part is that I'm able to like hang out with those folks now. The the internet has made yeah. it possible that um, I can actually build a relationship with those people, which I think is amazing. I that's like a completely under under appreciated aspect of the internet that people don't realize how accessible. We, yeah, we especially are. in this space. Like, yeah. I think, like, if your favorite person on the world in the world is J.K. Rowling, it's a little bit harder to get a hold of her. Right. But in this next kind of wave totally. that's coming, um, the the people that we look up to are very accessible, and um, and even so, like I went. So uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but Thirty Seven Signals. Jason and David uh, offered me a job. So they flew me to Chicago, and I spent a day with them. I ended up not taking it, which is a different story. But just being there in their office at 37 Signals, I realized, like, how just human and normal those people are. Like, they're just regular people. And, again, I think the difference is, is that they've, over time, they've practiced and practiced and practiced. So the reason that, you know, Freed is so good at writing is he writes, he's been writing forever, but he's just a normal guy. And I think that accessibility, you know, when we see these people at conferences or, you know, maybe we just get to hang out with them online. I think the other cool part is that we realize that these are just normal people. Whereas in the olden days, it was like, you know, uh, you know, if you thought of your favorite rock star or your favorite author or your favorite whatever, they just seemed inaccessible and like they had some sort of magic you know, pixie dust on them. But in reality, these are just normal people. And what the reason they're so great is that they've practiced. Yeah, there's this totally. I love that. That's my favorite part of like just the the, the world that we've entered. Yeah. Is, oh, and is, another. Is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, another person that's really good at this is my buddy, Paul Jarvis. I think I mentioned him earlier. Uh, P-R-J-V-S dot com. Uh, again, he's got one of my favorite newsletters ever. And he like he just practices writing every single day. And you can tell, like, um I, that's the other thing interesting about the internet is you get you can like look at people's history and like see them develop over time. Like if you go to my blog, you can scroll to the very bottom and see my first posts mm-hmm. and then kind of scroll up. And just watching Paul, like week after week, I'm getting his newsletter and every week he's just getting better and better and better. And it's just because he's practicing. He writes every single day. He doesn't publish. uh, I'm guessing he doesn't publish most of what he writes, but he's just practicing and putting it out there. But he's just a normal guy. Like I talk to him every week on a phone call and he's, (laughs) he's just a guy like you, you or I, but the difference is he's, he's just putting out stuff. And uh, yeah, I love that. I love that he has a form to do that. You know, he, he can do that on the web, but also 
like he's pushing himself to get better and better and better. What type of job would you have done with 37 Signals? Uh, I would have probably been in like support or like a support manager. Um, yeah, something around there. That was part of the part of the reason I didn't really want to take it was that at the time it didn't feel like a good fit. Um, I wanted to move into product and ended up getting a product manager role somewhere else. Okay. It would have been awesome though. Like that there's definitely like even that one day I spent there was was really fun. Um but you know the, I think the other thing I've realized just being on the web is like you can try all these different things. So like I flew to Chicago and I like tried that out and I was like, okay, well I could do that or I could take this thing here and do product and you know then I got to start working with these guys at Sprintly and I'm like, oh yeah, I can try this out here and like Oh, I kind of like this. I kind of like working with these guys. So you get to like try out all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've I've um, had, you know, tried on lots of different jobs actually probably in the last five or six years. Sometimes it's just like interview with someone or hang out with someone at the company. Um, but I like that part of kind of being able to access all this stuff that, you know, again, in previous times might not have been accessible. Yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. I we used to work at a startup called Machinima, and we're big gaming creators on YouTube. And I'm I'm not a gamer, but I was fascinated by this ecosystem where you have someone play Minecraft, post it on YouTube, and they can acquire millions of subscribers over time. And they would go to you know we'd go to Comic Con or E3 and VidCon, this YouTube conference, and these guys were rock stars and had massive followings and people were waiting in line by the hundreds to get their autographs. And it was this phenomenal thing where they were both people aspired to be them. Their fans loved them. They would want to work at Machinima or play video games for a living. So there was this aspirational element, but there was also this accessibility because you could reach these people. You could talk to the Machinima guy on Twitter or go to a, a meetup. And it wasn't this era, this aura of celebrity where it was like these people were made and they were discovered by the fans. It wasn't like someone grabbed them and said, you're going to be on TV or you're going to be a writer for a magazine like in previous years, or you're going to be the rock band of choice. It's like, no, they just got a lot of people in their community to support them. And it's like you watched the the growth, like talk about your blog and people can go back and see your, your first post. It's like you can go back and see these first videos and actually, you know, Minecraft got a acquired obviously by Microsoft and if you go back to some of these early creators this guy Cnanners you go to his first Minecraft video has 20 million views and it, the top comment most uh, upvoted is I play Minecraft because of Cnanners and the amount of feedback we would get from the community that these games that you know we just played or I, these guys played that they just loved and how people were adopting like Minecraft we helped propel and you know obviously became a huge massive thing that we but we were a very small piece of kindling in the fire, and we didn't even try to. People loved the game, and they at that point, Notch had not sold and was an independent creator. And um, which is another. What do you think about that acquisition? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> so because it happened to XO. First of first of all, what yeah. I love about Notch is he's he's very honest about how he said, you know what, this whole thing is a crazy lucky serendipitous thing and the fact that he didn't kind of say you know that he'd planned all this out and 
he knew what he was doing the whole time. He said, you know, I built this thing and it it just got lucky and it became huge. So first of all, I think I just like that idea that there is a an aspect of timing and luck in a lot of success and that Notch was humble enough to uh, to admit to that. And you know, when some sometimes when things get so big, they do kind of outgrow you and I can completely understand why uh, you know, he hadn't been developing much on Minecraft lately. Like, my, Minecraft was so big and so much out of his control. Like, think about, like, all the things, like licensing deals and toys and Lego sets, and then you've got the game itself. I, I, I met people that were hosting Minecraft servers making a million dollars a year. Yeah, like, there's this whole crazy thing. And as one person, you know, trying to do this independently... Even with the staff, that must have been really <laughs> a lot of work. So, you know, if Microsoft came to me, I, I don't know if Microsoft is the right fit. Um, I think, uh, you know, maybe there would have been better other <laughs> companies that would have been better uh, acquirers. But um, it makes sense, you know, have someone bigger take over that can really, um, can really help uh, <laughs> take it to the next level. My kids play Minecraft, and as a parent, it's actually... The current Minecraft experience is pretty frustrating. Um, I would pay a lot of money if there was a really good Minecraft store where you could buy mods and maps and stuff without having to go through forums and you know all the crazy stuff you have to do right now. So personally, I'm hoping that that Microsoft still kind of keeps the community and the this whole community of makers that are building stuff and you know building on top of the platform, but that they would also offer <laughs> you know things like a Minecraft store where mm -hmm. you could do in-app purchases. Right. Because there, there's a huge it's... market for that. And Minecraft, the other thing is Minecraft has really outgrown that kind of core group of geeks that used to play it. It's it's a phenomenon now. Like if you've got kids in grade school, every single kid is having a Minecraft party, birthday party now, you know? Totally. So, Halloween so, costumes. and Yeah. So it's it's like a big deal now. And it, it really does need a big company, I think, to to manage all that. So yeah, to me it makes sense, and you know, um, you never know. I mean, he maybe he'll Notch will build something else cool, but or maybe that was his one thing, and you know, it's it's okay to get a good payday at the end of, <laughs> at, at the end of your one thing, right? It's good. Can't, can't fault that guy. guy. Yeah, can't fault it. And again, it, that's like a lottery ticket. Like that that doesn't happen very often, and so um, when it when it does happen, I think it's it's fine to move on and. <laughs> and just take the money or you know go do something else cuz he was I, I don't think he was I don't think he's been happy uh trying to manage this big crazy thing for a while when, when we, we first met him he came to a live stream at our offices and we did this we this is before Justin TV was even embedded yeah or I'm sorry before Twitch they only had Justin TV at that point okay and uh so Twitch wasn't around we used Ustream and uh we had broke servers and he came on and played with us and some of our personalities, and he was a very, very low-key, nice guy, completely, you know, like, wow, this is crazy. You know, was somewhat bewildered by what had happened. And this is right before he won a bunch of gaming awards um, yeah. and really hit, like, the critical mass. But over time, people said he was a lot more grouchy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. he was less, like, accessible and affable than he was at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I think about that a lot, actually, like the... The kind of trappings of success. 
I think the there is a sweet spot where you want some success but not too much because um, you know I you know he's a great example of this thing that just grew so big that he couldn't like it just wasn't his thing anymore and you know I think that's pretty hard there's lots of room in this world though for smaller successes like things that you know most of the world hasn't heard about but are doing just fine uh, like my friend Sean Blanc, he he runs his own little membership site, and uh, you know does a weekly pod, a daily podcast just for members, and uh, writes books, and and he de- that's his full time living. And people in the de- the design community have heard about him, but most of the world hasn't heard about him. But he has a great life, and he's able to kind of create his own thing. But he doesn't have so much success that it's like unbearable. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Well, uh, I'll let you go. I know you have a family and work, and uh, I will. I'd love to wrap up with one final question. You've answered it in a lot of ways, but because um, you talk about shipping and getting after, you know, going after and making stuff and producing small things. And uh, what advice would you have for yourself um, if you were entering the tech world now or wanted to get into product? Because what. What a uh, product's a very you know difficult world to break into, and um, so, you know, product managers is it's not the most straightforward job. And, yeah, um, definitely, there's no school for it from what I've seen. Yeah, um, and I have a lot of friends that work in that in that specific role, and it just is it's uh, not easy just to jump into it. So, what, what advice would you give? I think the biggest thing is, uh, well, first of all, product manager can varies a lot depending on the organization. So some companies only hire, uh, you know, technical product managers who have an engineering background. Some companies only hire uh, product managers with a business background. Um, and so it, it really depends where you're applying. But, you know, one way is to just join a company and just work your way up from the bottom and just be interested in everything. Um, and learn to speak the language that engineers speak, learn to speak the language that salespeople speak, learn to speak the language that customers speak, uh, because product manager is often the hub right in the middle of all the parts of the organization. So you're relating to all the parts of the organization, and you're trying to create a vision for where the product's going to go, and specifically, what do people really need? Um, And... Uh, a lot of that happens from just being in the trenches and, you know, talking to all those different groups and getting a sense of where they're all at and being able to speak to them. So I, I think that's one piece of advice is to, yeah, just get started with a company, work your way. Don't, don't walk in and ask for the product manager role, like start, you know, as, as low as you can go, as low as you can get the job. Um, the other thing is to build and launch your own stuff. So I have this one tweet that's, I think, been retweeted hundreds of times, which is, I learned more building and launching my own product in four months than I did in four years of business school. And when you do it yourself, for real, and you do every single part, everything from finding a need and then building something for that need and then building a demand for that need and then launching 
that is the best education you could have. And if you have that education under your belt and you can point to that, you can say, I built this thing, I sold this thing, and here are the results I got. That is a, a really uh, compelling reason for anyone to hire you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot of people trying to get into product that just haven't done anything yet. Right. And you, you need to do something. You need to prove that that you have uh, the chops, that you've got some experience there. And it, you don't need an education. You, the, the education is experience. And if you've never worked in a software company before or you've never worked for a product company before, the best way to get that experience is to build your own thing, even if it's small. Totally. totally. It's, it's like, like uh, business, business school in general, general is totally, it's changing. It's, it's optional, but it's expensive. You know, you can get a good network from it, but, but in the end, it's like if you went to college and you show you're competent and the experience of creating something is you learn more and you're actually more capable in some ways because you were self-reliant. You didn't have to have someone overseeing the process. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If, if, you know, if I'm hiring, so the place I left, the, the fellow I recommended to replace me. Where did you work previously? It was a, a email newsletter company specifically focused on Canadian banks and governments called Industry Mailout. Okay. And uh, the fellow that I asked, I said, you know, you should, he's the one that should replace me, was one of those guys that was just like interested in learning everything. He built some of his own software products on the side. Um, he was, uh, Ryan Singer at 37 Signals always said he got his product manager role because he kept sticking his nose and everything. And, you know, if you do that enough and you show enough kind of, uh, uh, you know, interest, that that there's something about that that, again, it gives people a reason to hire you. That's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. Cool, man. It was a pleasure being on the show. Yeah. I, I love this. No, I enjoy, I enjoy these conversations. This is, this is what I like to do. So, uh, so uh, thank you. Big thanks for Justin Jackson coming on the show. Love talking to him inside baseball about the secrets of podcasting and marketing your ideas and getting to communities online and finding ways to get passionate about your work. Check us out, InfluencerEconomy.com. See you next week.